0: General Patton of the Second World War was once asked, General, how is it that you can always discern how involved a particular company is in the battle? To which he replied, and I quote, I can always tell where the troops are by what they talk about. If they're talking about cold food, warm drinks, and old movies, then I know that they are nowhere near the front lines. But when the troops are in the trenches, The thing they talk about is so very different. Send us more ammunition and give us more air cover. We need more men to pull this off. Major question, what do you talk about concerning your ministry with the people of Community Bible Church?
1: Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures, a daily walk through the Bible with Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today, Pastor Carl concludes his message entitled, A Good Servant of Christ Jesus, part of our study of chapter 4 of the book of 1 Timothy. We find in verse 6 a call to be good ministers, and we have over the past several days been looking at what that means. Let's rejoin Pastor Brogy now as he reminds us that being a good minister may require going against the societal tide.
0: God calls His people to live a radically different lifestyle, a new lifestyle. And the more Christocentric you become in your thinking, and the further this culture slides away from the living God, the more odd you may look. But God has called you to that oddness if necessary in order to be a bright light in the midst of darkness. And your conduct encompasses every area of life. It involves all of your human relationships. In just a few moments, the church here that is gathered will be the church that is scattered. And a number of you may find yourself in a variety of eating establishments. How will you relate to those waitresses and those waiters who serve you this afternoon? See, an unbelieving world is watching. Whether or not you keep your word, whether or not you pay your bills on time, whether or not you put in a hard day's work, how respectful you are of others. You know, there's a bad joke in Christian circles that Christians are 15 minutes late for every meeting. You know, for church, for Sunday school. But unfortunately, very often, this conduct carries over into the world with unbelievers. I have a pastor friend who seems to be eight minutes late for everything he does. I preached in his church once, and he was eight minutes late for that. He'd probably be eight minutes late for the rapture. (laughs) Not really, but his feet will be dragging when he goes up. Listen, (laughs) here's Timothy. He says to him, you don't want someone to look down on your youthfulness. You practice the word of God in your speech. You practice the word of God in your conduct. You practice the word of God in your love. Turn over to, well, don't turn there. I'll be done before you find it. John 15, just listen. John 15, verse 12, Jesus gives this command. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. And then he closes that It's a paragraph of Scripture with an identical command. This I command you, that you love one another. And then sandwiched between those two verses, you have three characteristics of New Testament love. According to verse 13, it costs, it's sacrificial. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Biblical love, God's love, the kind of love he calls you and I to display is sacrificial, you know? Some of our people tonight will be sacrificially here for Awana. I was told that we ought to cancel Awana tonight. Look, we're not going to cancel Awana for the Super Bowl or any other kind of bowl. Those 400 children are coming, are coming, expecting to hear the Word of God taught. And if you're a teacher, you ought to be here. And if you have children, you ought to have them here. You ought to make a statement to your children that this is God's day. It is more important than anything else that your children will be involved in this day. Listen. God has called us to love sacrificially. It costs to love God's way. And I'm so grateful for the sacrificial love I see all over this church. I see choir members year after year, some who've been there, a handful of them, since the day I came as the pastor. They're still singing in that choir, ministering to us in music. I see it in those who faithfully teach the Word of God as Sunday school teachers, some who care for our children. Right now, some who are volunteering in the nursery, for those six times a year that we ask our members to do. Some who will sacrificially love the family of God just by being involved in Sunday school today. You know, some of you aren't involved in Sunday school, and the reason is you don't think you'll get anything out about it. Out of it. Look, it's not about you. It's about other people. It's about getting to know God's people, caring for God's people, loving God's people, which reminds me that love is not only costly, it's intimate. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. To love biblically is to get involved in people's lives, and a corporate worship service is not supposed to lend itself to that. You need to begin to build relationships with members in the body of Christ some of us won't become members of this church we'll just float from church to church because we don't want to commit ourselves to anything or anybody see love is sacrificial it's intimate but love is also productive Jesus said between those two great commands you did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask of the Father in my name he may give to you. You see, biblical love gets involved in the lives of other people. You know why some of us have never, ever been used of God and may never be used of God to bring anyone to Christ? It's because we're so consumed with self. We are self-centered and not others-centered. And we come to a church and we, we ask questions like, what can this church do for me? Who is going to take care of my needs? Who is going to feed me? Who's going to disciple me? And the truth of the matter is, is that we are used so little for God because we are so self-focused. And we're blinded to the needs of the people in the world around us. And we lose our compassion for those people. Jesus said, for the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost, and he's commissioned you and I to go after him. Now, there's a fourth area. If you are to practice the Word of God, you are also to practice the Word in your faith. You see, not only are we saved by faith, the Bible teaches we are to live by faith. I love that occasion that's recorded for us in Mark chapters 4 and 5 when Jesus tests the faith of the disciples. He moves them out of the realm of the classroom into the realm of everyday life. And he says to them first, men, let's go over to the other side. So off they go. And of course, they get out there in the middle of the lake. Mark tells us not only is the boat in the water, but the water is in the boat. And so we read, and there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. And these guys who are in the process of going down, they panic, expert fishermen. They say, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? So the Lord who's awakened by all their arousal says, he rebukes the wind and he says to the sea, hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And then he turns to the disciples and he says, why are you so timid? How is it that you have no faith? And in the Greek New Testament, the word you is in the emphatic position. You might paraphrase it. How is it that you, you of all people, have no faith? They had taken the faith exam and they got an F on it and it was not for faith. He had said to them, let's go over to the other side. He didn't say, let's go out in the middle of the lake and drown. They had flunked the hearing test. Faith comes from hearing and hearing truly by the word of God. Let's go over to the other side. But through their unbelieving ears, they said, what? What'd you say? Let me ask you a question. If Jesus Christ were to stand in this pulpit this morning and in all of his love and in his grace here to ask you and I, how is it that you, you of all people, with all of your privilege, with all of your exposure, with all of your opportunity, how is it that you have no faith? I believe one of the great curses of the modern evangelical church is that we have too many unbelievers in our midst. I'm not talking about non-Christians. We're blessed to have them as First Corinthians 14 affirms. I thank God for unbelievers who come here every week. I'm talking about Christians, those who've had a second birth, people who I call unbelieving believers, people who can trust God for their eternal salvation, but who cannot trust Him with the next 24 hours of their life, people who can believe God for their eternal destiny, but they cannot believe God for their day-to-day decisions. Listen, the blessings of God, all of them, are received by faith. And most of the problems we face in this life are due to a lack of faith. You ever worry? You know why you worry? Worry is simply a lack of faith. You take worry and you turn it around and you have faith. You take faith and you turn it around, you have worry. How is it that we can be surrounded by so many people and be lonely? A lack of faith. Because God has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you, even in the midst of persecution and rejection. Jesus said, I will be with you, yea, even to the end of the age. He's with us all the time, but it is faith that makes his presence so real. I found myself recently complaining after much criticism that came my way. You know why I complained? It was my lack of faith. Instead of choosing to rejoice, believing that God causes everything to work together for good, I found myself complaining. I did not believe the Word of God. It was a lack of faith. You see, if we really believe God's Word, if we really believe God's commandments, that they are best for us, then we will walk in them by faith. We will believe what God has revealed in Scripture. You ever pray and your prayers are not answered? You know very often why they're not answered? A lack of faith. Jesus said, In all things you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive Pray, believe, and you'll receive. Pray in doubt, you'll do without. The saying's true. Our prayers are answered when we pray in faith. What I'm trying to tell you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, is that the blessings of God come to us in faith, faith, and many of the problems we face is because of our lack of faith. And one of the ways that we are to take the word of God is we are to take it and we are to practice it in faith. Timothy, there's one final answer. In addition to your speech, in addition to your conduct, in addition to your love, and in addition to your faith, you practice the word in purity. Look at verse 12. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in Speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. Now, the Bible is so realistic. It has so much to say in this area of our lives. Paul told the church at Thessalonica, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. It is God's will that you be holy, not that you be happy. Happiness is the byproduct of Christianity. It is not the goal. And we are living in a generation that is covered over in sexual immorality. There'll be all kinds of filthy, dirty commercials on the television tonight, and some of you will watch them, you will feed on them, and you think, oh, it's no big deal. It will influence you. Say, as long as my kids aren't there watching them, nonsense. It will dull your relationship with God. It will short circuit the spirit of God operating in your life. And you will find yourself lukewarm for God, a religious Christian who's having little impact. We are living in a day that is sex-saturated. I preached a whole series on it last year, only to be criticized by a number of people. Let me tell you, our people needed to hear it. let me remind you, if you want to have an impact in this generation, I guarantee that some of the greatest leverage God will ever give you will be a life of purity because it is only as you live a life of purity, both in body and in mind, that the Spirit of God will be free to bless you, to empower you, to be that person. I meet so many families, so many marriages, so many teenagers who are so messed up Because they are violating and ignoring this simple piece of God's word. In this sex-saturated society, you can be a different person if you will live a life of purity. Do you want to have an impact? Even if you are young, then outlive this generation, Paul says, in your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. Timothy, a good servant of Christ Jesus, will preach the word. Timothy, a godly servant of Christ Jesus, will practice the word. But third and finally, understand, a growing servant will progress in the word. Now the key verse in this paragraph is verse 15. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. As a godly pastor, Timothy was to grow spiritually so that the whole church could see his spiritual progress and desire to imitate it. Listen, no pastor, no father, no Sunday school teacher, no discipler can lead his people where he has not been himself because you cannot impart that which you do not possess. And if you are not growing, then I want to tell you, you are going backwards because you cannot stand still in the Christian life. Now, none of us have reached perfection, and that will not happen until the Lord Jesus comes and gives us a glorified body like, a, like his own. But all of us can be progressing. So what are the factors that make spiritual progress a reality in the local church? Well, let me suggest three directly from the text that apply to the pastor, but they also apply to you. First, a godly pastor will emphasize the word of God. He'll emphasize God's word. He says in verse 13, until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Ministering the word of God was not something that Timothy was to do after he'd done everything else. It was the most important thing that he would do. And of course, since most people in the first century could not open their Bibles, they had no personal copy of the Word of God, though they had a tremendous commitment to memorize Scripture, that is just unsurpassed, I think, in any century if I read church history properly. But it was critically important for the public reading of Scripture to be done. And it's not important just in that day, but in our day, because people learn not just as they see the Word, but also as they hear the Word of God. But he's saying to Timothy, don't stop there. Don't be satisfied with simply reading the Bible and never coming back to your text. Take that word and then exhort the people and teach as well. Look, I've been in churches before where a pastor reads a portion of scripture. He might as well close his Bible because he never comes back to it. And you don't really even need to bring your Bible to church. You could follow without a Bible. But listen, when that happens in a church, those people are weak Those people are sickly. Those people are not growing as they ought because the pastor is not shepherding them, feeding the flock of God as he's commanded to do by Jesus Christ. Timothy, you give your attention to the public reading of Scripture, but also to exhortation and teaching. Help the people to see how the Word of God applies to life. Read it, explain it to them, and then exhort them and encourage them to apply it. So first, a growing pastor will emphasize the Word of God. Secondly, a growing... Growing Pastor will exercise his gift. He'll exercise his gift. Verse 14 indicates, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. When Timothy was ordained by the elders by the presbytery through the laying on of hands, which we will do this Wednesday night for two new elders... They were symbolizing that he had been set apart, and when that happened, there was even a prophetic utterance as God gave new revelation in the first century before the canon of Scripture was closed, and there was a great word of encouragement to Timothy concerning his gifts and his abilities. But there were times in Timothy's life that when he used this gift, he was not using it with boldness. He was intimidated probably by older members in the church. And Paul is saying, Timothy, you need not to neglect that gift. You need to exercise that gift. And it's encouraging to know whether you are called to be a pastor like me or something else, that the God who calls you to serve in this church will equip you to do it. If we are to be a growing Christian, we cannot be a passive Christian. We have to cultivate those gifts and abilities that God has given us, and we are to exercise them in a local expression. It's called the local church. You may even have a ministry out there somewhere, but God never wants you to have a ministry out there to the exclusion of having a ministry when the church of Jesus Christ is gathered. And so, Timothy, you, like the rest of the people, cultivate those gifts, develop those gifts, and use them wherever God puts you in His church. General Patton of the Second World War was once asked, General, how is it that you can always discern how involved a particular company is in the battle? To which he replied, and I quote, I can always tell where the troops are by what they talk about. If they're talking about cold food, warm drinks and old movies, then I know that they are nowhere near the front lines. But when the troops are in the trenches, The thing they talk about is so very different. Send us more ammunition and give us more air cover. We need more men to pull this off. Major question. What do you talk about concerning your ministry with the people of Community Bible Church? You see, I can tell a whole lot about where you are, about what you talk about. Some of us, we just complain. Others of us, because we're in the trenches, on the front line, we're seeking with a team of people to pull something off great for the glory of Jesus Christ. A growing pastor will emphasize the word of God. A growing pastor will exercise his gift. Thirdly, a growing pastor will examine his progress. Verse 15, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and those who hear you. Timothy, be absorbed in your spiritual life and ministry, because you cannot divide your life between the world and the Lord Jesus. No man can serve two masters. You'll either hate the one or despise the other. Timothy, you make sure you examine your own life carefully. Paul knew that a servant of God can be sometimes so busy in helping others that he will neglect his own spiritual walk. But Timothy, Paul says, you first must examine your own life, be absorbed in it, pay close attention to yourself and your teachings, keep going, persevere in these things, don't ever stop. And if you'll do that... You'll ensure salvation both for yourself and for others. What do you mean ensure salvation? I thought salvation was by grace. You're talking about working for heaven? No, understand there are three dimensions of salvation in the Bible. I've been saved in the past from the penalty of sin. That's justification. You can do nothing to earn it. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man boast. The free gift of God is eternal life, the Bible says through Jesus Christ. It is a gift. So I know he can't be talking about justification. Well, another sense of tense and sense of salvation is future. Future. Not only have I in the past been saved from the penalty of sin, in the future I will be saved from the very presence of sin. When God gives me a glorified body. Well, certainly he's not saying that if you do these things, somehow you'll maintain your salvation. You'll keep yourself secure. No, we are eternally secure if we've ever truly been saved. Once we are saved, we are saved forever. And once you are justified and called, the Bible says you will be glorified. That's a given. He's talking here about that present tense of salvation, neither from the penalty of sin nor from the presence of sin, but from the very power of sin. The Bible does not call that justification or glorification, but sanctification. He's saying, Timothy, look, if you want to play a major role in God's church then you make sure that you give attention first to your own life, then to those whom you shepherd. And if you will do this, you will not only ensure that you personally will grow, but you will help other Christians to grow as well. Gallup conducted one of those polls for which he is famous as he recently tried to measure the religious climate of the church in America. Of Christianity and what he said in the conclusion to that survey ought to stab you awake. He said never before in the history of the United States has the gospel made such inroads while at the same time making so little difference on how people live. Are you outliving your generation? You see one of the reasons so many Christians are having so little impact on this culture is because they are so much like this culture. But Timothy was a breed apart. And God was able to use Timothy, not because Timothy was so great in himself, but because God was so great in Timothy. Is God great in your life? Timothy was a turtle on a fence post. And God wants to make you and me to be the same. Let's stand for prayer. Now, our Father, I thank you for this time this morning to be in the Word of God. But I recognize that none of us can even begin to grow and progress in the faith until we've been born from above. And Father, I know this week is all weeks. There are people here today who hope they would go to heaven. They think they might. But they do not have the assurance that if they had a heart attack this morning or if Christ were to come to sweep up his church, that they would be taken to heaven. But I thank you for the Lord Jesus we sang it to you in a prayer this morning, how grateful we were and are for the one who in his own body took all of our sin, not most of it, but all of it, all of the wrath that you should take upon us in hell. Once for all time, you said he died for sin. You said he bore our sin in his own body on the cross. And we thank you that he took his, our wrath and that you raised him from the dead, declaring to all men everywhere that he is Lord. Now, Father, I pray today for someone who is here who's never been saved. Oh, precious Father, give them the grace today to call upon the name of Christ. You promised that whoever would call upon Him would be saved. You promised, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Help them to turn from believing in self and to believe in Christ as Savior. Help them to believe and trust Your Word For you said it's impossible to lie, for God to lie. You said that you cannot lie. You told us that you're not like a man that you would ever lie. But you also affirmed that without faith we could never please you. So that help them today to believe what you've said. Would you do that today? You're here, you're uncertain about your eternal destiny. You may be listening to me in your car. You may be watching over the television. And you say, I hope I'd go to heaven. I think I'm, I I want to tell you, friend, you're lost. You need to be saved today. You must come in faith. You must believe the promises of God because without faith, you will never believe him. You will never please him. Would you say, Lord Jesus, save me? Would you take God at his word? And would you say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me by your grace, by your death and resurrection. And because you've saved me, I will live for you. Now, Father, you said that the Christian life not only begins with faith, but it is to be lived from faith to faith. And so help us to be men and women of God who persevere, who first examine our own hearts who are constantly nourished in the word of God, that in our speech, in our conduct, in our love, and in our faith, and in every way, in our purity, we might please and honor you. Help us to heed what the scripture says, that our life might reflect the Lord Jesus in every way and bring honor to him. For we confess that he alone is worthy of honor and glory and power and praise. And we bless you today in his holy name.
1: For a copy of today's message entitled A Good Servant of Christ Jesus call Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and request program 1TM10 You can also listen to it online at our website searchthescriptures.org or on our Search the Scriptures app Just visit the iTunes App Store or Android Marketplace and look for the Search the Scriptures app And while you're at it, won't you consider supporting the work of Search the Scriptures? Our goal is to reach as many as possible with the good news of Jesus Christ through our radio and World Wide Web services. But we can't do it alone. Please pray how you might become a Search the Scriptures partner. Then call 877-787-7478 or visit searchthescriptures.org. Tomorrow, Carl's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, we'll look at how to care for God's church. Join us then as we search the scriptures.